You're listening to the Editorial Intelligence special broadcast from the Names Not Numbers Symposium. More information on namesnotnumbers.com. I'm going to introduce with great pleasure someone who's travelled a considerable distance again to be with us today. Shashi Tharoor, I think, has the distinguishing feature of being both a cultural and a political ambassador for India in the wider world. I first heard him give the most incredible lecture on Tagore at the Hay Festival in also in Wales, and uh, he, he doesn't actually need much more introduction because he is a great figure here, of course. So I'm delighted to welcome him to make some remarks again three years on. Shashi Tharoor. Thank you, Julia. Today we bow our heads to commemorate a time of terror and death in a city that throbs with life and hope. There is a savage irony to the fact that the horror in Mumbai began with terrorists docking near the gateway of India. That magnificent arch built in 1911 to welcome the King Emperor has ever since stood as a symbol of the openness of the city. Crowds flock around it, made up of foreign tourists and local yokels, touts hawk their wares, Boats bob in the waters, offering cruises out to the open sea. The teeming throngs around it daily reflect India's diversity, with Parsi gentlemen out for their evening constitutionals, Muslim women in burqas taking the sea air, Go and Catholic waiters enjoying a break from their duties at the stately Taj, Hindus from every corner of the country chatting in a multitude of tongues. Three years ago today, ringed by police barricades. The gateway of India, the gateway not just of India, but to India and to India's soul, was barred. Mute testimony to that criminal assault on this country's pluralist democracy. The terrorists who heave their bags laden with weapons up the steps of the wharf to begin their assault, like the, at, at the Taj, like their cohorts at a dozen other locations around the city, knew exactly what they were doing. Theirs was an attack on India's financial nerve center and commercial capital, a city emblematic of our country's energetic thrust into the 21st century. They struck at symbols of the prosperity that was making the Indian model so attractive to the globalizing world. Luxury hotels, a Swiss cafe, an apartment house favored by foreigners. The terrorists also sought to polarize Indian society by claiming to be acting to redress the grievances, real and imagined, of India's Muslims, and by singling out Britons, Americans, and Israelis for special attention, they demonstrated that their band of Islamist fanaticism is anchored less in the absolutism of pure faith than in the geopolitics of hate. Terrorists are no respecters of faith. Dozens of Muslims were amongst the 166 people who perished on 26-11, three years ago. The attack on Nariman House and the killing of its residents was also particularly sad, since India is justifiably proud of the fact that it is, only, it is the only country in the world with a Jewish diaspora going back 2,500 years where there has never been a single instance of anti-Semitism. 
This is the first time that it has been unsafe to be Jewish in India. Just as it was the first time it has been unsafe to be dining in a five-star hotel, to be buying a train ticket, or to be chatting at a cafe. The banality of evil destroying the tranquility of ordinary life. The terrorists hit multiple targets in Mumbai, both literally and figuratively. They caused death and destruction to Indians with near impunity, searing India's psyche, showing up the limitations of its security apparatus, and humiliating the authorities. They dented the worldwide image of India as an emerging economic giant, a success story of the era of globalization and an increasing magnet for investors and tourists. Instead, the world was made to see an insecure and vulnerable India, a soft state bedeviled by enemies who could strike it at will. Today, as happened three years ago, the platitudes will flow like blood. Terrorism is unacceptable. The terrorists are cowards. The world stands united in unreserved condemnation of this atrocity, and so on. Commentators in America tripped over themselves to pronounce this night and day of carnage India's 9-11. But India had endured many attempted 9-11s, notably a ferocious assault on our national parliament in December 2001 that nearly led to all-out war against the assailants' presumed sponsors, Pakistan. The year of 2611 alone, 2008, was one in which terrorist bombs had already taken lives in Jaipur, in Ahmedabad, in Delhi, and in an eerie dress rehearsal for the effectiveness of synchronicity in several different places in one searing day in the state of Assam. Mumbai combined all the elements of its precursors by attacking it, the terrorists hit India's economy, its tourism, and its internationalism, and they took advantage of the city's openness to the world. A grand slam. Indians have learned to endure the unspeakable horrors of terrorist violence ever since malign men from Pakistan concluded that it was cheaper and more effective to bleed India to death than to attempt to defeat it in conventional war. Attack after attack has been proven to have been financed, equipped, and guided from across the border. The most recent before 2611 being the suicide bombing of the Indian Embassy in Kabul, an action publicly traced by American intelligence to elements in Islamabad's dreaded military special ops agency, the ISI. In its meticulous planning, sophisticated coordination, and military precision, as well as its choice of targets, the assault on Mumbai bore no trace of what its promoters tried to suggest it was, a spontaneous eruption by angry young Indian Muslims. This horror was not homegrown. The Islamist extremism nurtured by a succession of military rulers of Pakistan has now come to haunt its well-intentioned but lamentably weak elected civilian government. The bombing of Islamabad's Marriott Hotel and various military installations in Pakistan since have proved that Frankenstein's monster is now well and truly out of its creator's control. The militancy once sponsored by its predecessors now threatens to abort Pakistan's sputtering democracy and seeks to engulf India in its flames. There has never been a stronger case for firm and united action by the governments of both India and Pakistan to cauterize the cancer in their midst. 
This is why Prime Minister Manmohan Singh persists in his determined pursuit of peace. Today we live in hope that the latest peace initiative between India and Pakistan will take wings and end the narrative of death and despair that has bedeviled our relationship. Three years ago it became conclusively clear that India had become the theatre of action for a global battle, one which threatens Indian lives, it is true, but one whose worldwide objectives also mean that we are not alone in this fight. Indeed, Pakistan should be on the same side as us in what for them is an existential struggle. That is also part of the solidarity we are all expressing this morning. Holding this event in Mumbai today is a fitting reminder that India has recovered from the physical assaults against it. It is a land of great resilience that has learned over arduous millennia to cope with tragedy. Bombs and bullets alone cannot destroy India because Indians will pick their way through the rubble and carry on as they have done throughout history. But what can destroy India is a change in the spirit of its people away from the pluralism and coexistence that has been our greatest strength. The Prime Minister's call for calm and restraint in the face of this murderous rampage was vital. His efforts to build peace on the ashes of this horror are courageous. If these tragic events lead or led to the demonization of any group in India, if they permanently end our hopes of peaceful coexistence on the subcontinent, then the terrorists will have won. For India to be India, its gateway to the multiple Indias within and the heaving seas without must always remain open. That is the spirit of Mumbai. May it always endure. We bowed our heads in mourning when we began. Today, let us raise them again in hope. Jai Hind.